Well, it's a, it is a joy to be here joining you uh, to worship our Lord and have uh, Pastor Greg preaching uh, for us at Park Hill. I, I got to know Greg since the beginning. I was uh, candidating here for Park Hill. It's such a blessing having Greg alongside the whole process with me. And so I would like to share with you today from 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, oh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. Um, Paul is here trying to respond an objection from some guys. Um, basically, the general occasion here that led Paul to write this letter is that some false preachers had arrived in Corinth between his uh, second and third final uh, visit. And these men were Greek. Uh, speaking Jews who claimed to be apostles, ministers of Christ. And they have infiltrated the ranks of the church to promote their uh, own uh, Jewish ver- version, uh, version of Christianity here uh, by discrediting Paul, calling in question Paul's apostleship, authority. And the way they are doing this is by pointing to Paul's appearance. Perhaps Paul was not a, a, a handsome man. Uh, also pointing to Paul's uh, weak speech and the suffering that he has uh, brought to himself because of the gospel. So much afflictions, sufferings. How is that possible that that guy is speaking about a, such a, a rich gospel since he himself is suffering too much? How, how good is the gospel uh, when we ourselves are struggling in so many ways. So here's Paul as a pastor trying to shepherd his church to, to let them know that uh, suffering is a normal, should be a normal thing for us. I know American people, they don't like this word, suffer, suffering, right? Um, so Paul here, as we're going to see in our text, uh, Paul answered his opponent's assertion of his inadequacy um, in ministry. And Paul is going to tell us and tell his church here that since Christ himself endured suffering all the way to death and rose again on our behalf, it is in Christ that our weakness and suffering presents no barrier to the gospel. Actually, there are means by which the gospel can advance to others for the glory of God. So that's the the basic message here. Since uh, in Christ our weakness and suffering present no barrier to the gospel at all. And as we're going to see here throughout the text, and you you have the insert in your bulletin, uh, God's power and wisdom in the midst of our weakness the life of Christ in the midst of our suffering, and the saving faith that leads to witnessing. And that's another word that's very strange, especially among uh, Reformed people. I came from Pentecostal background, and, and when I, I finally started studying, studying Scripture and moved away, and uh, the word witness evangelism it's almost zero in our circle 
And that's exactly what Paul is going to challenge the people at Corinth. Uh, your suffering and weakness present no barrier for uh, introducing the gospel to others. So uh, let's go to the text. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 15. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for, the sa- for Jesus' sakes, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal body, flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, so I spoke. We also believe, and we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with, with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake. So that grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Let's pray one more time. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you. You are a good God indeed. You have given us your word and your spirit to enlighten our minds, O Lord. So we ask you to bless us as we go through your word, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, besides going, uh, the desire to go to the moon when we are kids, the next one is to drive a car, right? So uh, let's do some exercise here. Uh, fathers, imagine your kid, 12, 15 years old, showing up in your neighborhood, driving an expensive car, perhaps a Ferrari. I don't know how to pronounce this word, but... Uh, you know, so can you imagine you, Father? Uh, you, you have been told by your kid that someone uh, just show up and then gave this car to your child, and and ask your child to take care of it, entrust this expensive car to your child, that you yourself have you'll never be able to buy it, but your kid just got it. What would you think about it? What would be your reaction? I don't know about your kids. <laughs> Perhaps they are so brilliant, you know. But I know mine. And then knowing the kids for what they are and what they are able to do, I would say, that guy might be crazy. <laughs> what are you thinking about receiving these gifts? Look at your room. <laughs> you cannot even take care of your room. And how much uh, less of, about this expensive car? Can't you see the discrep- discrepancy between this expensive car and you? It's, it doesn't fit. Okay? Go back. Give this car to that guy again. Well, that's basically what Paul is going through here with his false teachers. How is that possible, Paul? For you to say that you are a messenger from that gospel so good, so rich, so powerful, if you yourself 
so weak, suffering so much affliction. It doesn't fit that, Paul, you know. You had to be in a better stage to be a proclaimer or a message of the gospel. So that leads to our first point here. Paul's opponents were doing basically what Europe as a father would do with your children, you know. They were, they were trying to discredit Paul's authority by pointing to his inadequacies to shame him, to steal the flock. And apparently, they were asking, again, how can a such worthless vassal claim to be the agent of a glorious gospel? And that leads us to our first point. God's power and wisdom in the midst of our weakness. Verses 7 to 9. And the question I want to pose for us is, what is the relationship between the advancement of the gospel and our weakness? Look at verse 7 9. But we have this treasure in jar, jars of clay to show that its surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You see, Paul... Paul echoes his opponent's assertions, words, while establishing an interesting contrast. Paul says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Paul agrees with his opponent saying, yes, you guys are right. You are totally right. I'm just a worthless, worthless cracked pot. And yet, Paul never denied the reality that it is God who entrusts to him this glorious gospel. Look at verse 1, how he starts chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God. I got that by the mercy of God. I don't own it. It doesn't belong to me. I didn't make it. I'm just a messenger. Don't lose your heart. We do not lose your, uh, the heart. Verse 1, we do not lose heart. People are losing their hearts, seeing their shepherds, their leadership, going through so many afflictions and proclaiming a glorious gospel. So Paul was always conscious about his call. In so many of his letters, he would start in this way, Ephesians 1 Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. So Paul is very, very conscious that he does not own this treasure. He's just a recipient of it. Just like you and me. So, but well, what is this, the treasure here in question? Look at verse 4. The lights of the gospel of the glory of Jesus. Look at verse 6. The lights of the knowledge of the glory of God display in the face of Jesus. The treasure here is the gospel itself. It is the saving message of Jesus. It is the kingdom of God. As, as Jesus himself said one day, that a man found a treasure in this field. And he sold everything and bought that field because of the treasure. The treasure is the gospel. It's the kingdom of God. But in contrast, you have these earthen vessels, which implies something fragile, inferior, expendable, prone to break, easily chipped, and cracked, 
that offers no protection whatsoever except for dust. And that's basically what you are. Useless, according to the world. Contrast is to underscore our weakness and inadequacy when compared to the greatness and richness of this divine saving knowledge of Jesus. At the same time, Paul wants us to comprehend and behold God's power and, and wisdom as he, in his sovereign will, entrusts it to us. Anyone with a sane mind would say, God's so crazy to entrust to you this ministry, this call, this opportunity to share the gospel. Look at you. Yourself is trying to offer a medicine for cancer, but you're about to die because of your cancer. How does, does that work? So Paul wants us to put God's power and wisdom at display. Look at back in verse 7. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You see, the power of God. Your weakness presents no barrier to God's power to be at display. Now, God's wisdom is in, in trusting his treasure, the gospel to us, is implied in Paul's theology. They already heard about that. First Corinthians. Turn to first, first Corinthians chapter 1. Paul was talking about how God has chosen the despised people. And then in verse, 20, verse 26, chapter 1, 1 Corinthians, Paul says, For consider your calling, brothers. Look at you. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. But God, that's the good news. The word but. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things they are not, to bring to naught things they are, so that no human being might, might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let, no one, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He's quoting Jeremiah. So the Corinthians already heard this message before. But Paul wants to put this in a practical level. So by entrusting the gospel to us, earthen vessel, cracked pots, God is manifesting his saving power and wisdom to the world, even in the midst of our weakness. Verse 8, we are afflicted in every way, not just one way, physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially, and, and so on. That's, that's the reality. In all ways, we have been afflicted, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. How is that possible? It's so easy to break a vessel, especially when it's already cracked. 
But in God's hand, it can't happen because of his power and wisdom bestowed upon you. Isn't it amazing? He's going to hold you fast. But the question, the relationship between our weakness and the advancement of the gospel, and that's the point here. People are talking, uh, accusing Paul, you're not able to advance the gospel because you are so weak. Your speech is just like Pastor Eric, a broken English, cannot move forward. <laughs> well, think about our, our sense, your sense of inadequacy, and the fear that comes along with the word evangelism. <gasps> no. To share the gospel. Oh, no, no. Wait a minute. Think about that. Your sense of inadequacy. When it comes to evangelism, to share the good news with non-believers. Well, Paul himself felt inadequate. And sometimes afraid of sharing the gospel. Paul? Yeah, Paul. When, when he first came to Corinth to proclaim the gospel, fear almost took him, overtook him. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2 and 3, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the treasure, right? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now he's going to talk about the vessel himself. This Paul speaks about himself. He said, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. Paul? Really? Yeah. Paul. It's so liberating. You don't need to feel strong to share the gospel. You don't, you don't need to feel ready to share the gospel. There is someone who is stronger than you and it's ready. Always ready. Now, let's exercise our imagination again one more time. Imagine God calling you tonight to go to a cemetery to pray for someone to be raised from the dead. How would you feel? Oh, I got it. Yeah. Of course not. You'd feel so inadequate. Right? If you're a normal person. If you say, I would feel afraid or powerless about praying for someone to be raised from the dead, I need to say to you, welcome to my club. Yeah. That's exactly how you should feel. If you biblically think about what God wants to accomplish through the message of the gospel, evangelism, brothers and sisters, we are facing the same reality. That is... We are speaking the gospel into that people's lives so that they can come to life. That's why it's unacceptable when people say to me, I don't feel well to share the gospel. Well, you shouldn't feel well. You are trying to raise that people from the dead. Unless you know how to do that stuff, you know, have done before, I know. It's not about feeling. And the power that Paul is leaning on here, you see in verse 14, it is the power of the resurrection. That's the ground. That's why we go out to share the gospel. It's not in us. So for Paul, God's provide power in the midst of our weakness. And not only that. 
Or second point now, God also provides life in the midst of our suffering. Life to others. And the question is, what is the relationship between our suffering and the life of Jesus conveyed to others? Is that possible to be uh, in a suffering situation, circumstance, and still be a blessing to others? Or are you falling to that self-pity? Poor me, poor me, I can't. I... It doesn't give any fruit. It doesn't produce nothing to you or to others around you. We just read about Paul here in the prison. In the midst of his suffering, he was able to produce life through the gospel, of course. Look at verse 10 to 12. First, notice that suffering is not atypical for Christian. Much less for those who engage in gospel ministry. And gospel ministry here, I don't mean being a pastor or just an elder. Just by having the desire to share the gospel. To serve the Lord. So suffering is not a typical. It's not even a matter of occasionally suffering for a period of time. And then being delivered. And set free from suffering. Paul says, but always carry in the body. The death of Jesus. Always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Always. Ongoing pattern. It's like believing, speaking, suffering. Again, again. Second, see how Paul characterizes the whole of his suffering in the gospel ministry Christologically. And that's so meaningful. Paul understands his sufferings in light of Christ's suffering. Verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. And see, verse 11, Paul intentionally used the verb, the Greek verb, paradidomai, which is used for the handing over of Jesus to the death. Same word. Verse 12. For we have lived. For, for, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sakes. Paul used this verb even in the passive form. We have been given over. We are not giving ourselves. It is God who is giving us. So Paul firmly believes that God's purpose lies behind his suffering do you do you understand that your suffering is included in God's sovereignty will to manifest his wisdom and power in others people's lives do you understand that and he keeps saying so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in his mortal flesh so that the life of Jesus can extend to others in other words, but you may say, Pastor Eric, well, understanding my suffering light of Christ's suffering neither changes the reality of my suffering nor removes its pain. You can say that, right? And I would say yes. On the one hand, you're right. It does not remove the pain of your suffering. But on the other hand, 
brothers and sisters, by acknowledging our suffering in light of Christ's suffering, although it does not change the reality of our suffering, it changed the whole reality of our union with Christ and all its benefits. Think about the suffering of unsaved people. You know someone suffering right now who does not have Christ, has not been united with Christ. So their suffering, in a sense, is purposeless. There is no high dignity attached to them. Their suffering, while on this earth, is only a foretaste of the pains and torments of hell to be endured forever. Meaningless. But not so the suffering of Christians. When we suffer for Christ, we are told that it is because of our union with Christ. Romans, for, 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 for we have been baptized in Christ's death. Now, our union with Christ is not limited to his suffering and death, but also related to Christ's resurrection. Paul keeps saying in Romans 6, verse 5, For we for have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in the resurrection like his. Your suffering is so meaningful. You see, what changed the reality of your suffering, the gospel ministry, and compels us to share the gospel is Christ on resurrection. Why do you do evangelism, Eric, like crazy? Because, because I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's basically what Paul is saying here. Verse 14 again. One commentator um, trying to explain this point here, the logic behind Paul's thinking, he says, if God's definitive salvific act accord through the weakness of the crucified Jesus, then it should be no surprise that the saving gospel of the crucified Jesus should be reached the Gentiles through the weakness of his apostles. So your weakness, suffering, does not present any barrier to the gospel. That's why Paul says in verse 12, So death is at work in us, but life in you. Death is at work in us. In John chapter 12, when Jesus was speaking about himself as a grain of wheat, he said if he did not die, he would remain alone. He would enjoy the glories of heaven by himself. But if he died... He would provide a way of salvation for so many people. And basically, that's the call for us, to die for ourselves so that others can live. As we were working in Grand Rapids, we felt there was a time to get closer to the people in our community. And we open up our house for 30, 40 people every Friday to eat at our table. And some Christians from the church would say, why are you doing this? You don't know these people. 
And actually, we didn't know the people. And, and the question is so simple. It's because God wants to reach out the lost. And we had to sacrifice. And it was a sacrifice to convince my kids that so many kids could come over and play with the toys, turn up the house upside down, <laughs> was, was a suffering time. And one day, one of my kids said to me, I, I can't handle this. They keep swearing inside our house, keeping destroying my toys. <laughs> it was amazing because my words to them were, I said, one of the family was a Muslim family. And I said to them, well, if, if you don't want to see your house being blown up for, by a Muslim, start preaching the gospel to them. Well, I think that was so prophetic because a few months later, I went to that house without knocking the door, like a Brazilian style. <laughs> and I caught up then watching a tutorial video on how to destroy a Christian house. And the FBI got involved, and then the story goes on. That family that we are inviting to come over. So there has to be a time for you to get out of your comfort zone and to be a vassal of glory, to share the gospel. And of course, we engage in the gospel in different ways. The way I engage is not the way that a mom with five kids will engage, of course. But sacrifice has to take place. We look different for each one of us, but at the end, Christ will produce the fruits of eternal life in other people's life. And then, the saving faith leading to witness 13 to 15. Let's consider the final question here. What is the relationship between faith and your desire to share your faith? The relationship between faith and evangelism. Well, look at verse 13. It's, there is a serious relationship at the point that you need to question your faith. Since we have the same spirit of faith, According to what has been written, I believed, so I spoke. We also believe, and we also speak. So Paul now takes his argument to another level, doesn't he? Paul understands that we as vassals in God's kingdom should not only contain a treasure, but also to convey it to others, to proclaim it. To share it. And now we are navigating some uncomfortable waters. Yet, the same message that Paul wants to proclaim had first moved his own heart, right? I believe. That's why I speak. I believe. I have embraced this truth has affected his life. That's why he's saying, I believe first. That's why I speak now. If I didn't believe, I probably wouldn't go and risk anything to share it. If I didn't believe, I would probably shut down very easily. But I do believe. I can't stop speaking. I remember my pastor in the Pentecostal church said to my mom, don't worry, he's going to stop one day when he gets married. <laughs> and I said to him, no, my pastor. As single, 
I go faster. As married, I go longer. <laughs> so, maybe sometimes that's the problem with the church. That's the problem with me and with you. We are told that we, are, we should go and share our faith, the gospel. We were told that Jesus has many other sheep which are, which are not here in this fold right now. We are told that Jesus is even pray for them. We are told that without trusting Jesus, without faith in Jesus, people are going to hell. We are also told that faith comes from hearing the gospel. But the problem is we are not so sure if we believe in those things. At least we don't believe enough to speak up, to, to speak out, to reach out. And if we do believe, how could we be silenced? It, it doesn't work. So what Paul is saying here is that there is a relationship between believing and witnessing. Between faith and, and evangelism. As Calvin says, faith is the mother of confession. Faith is the mother of confession. On the flip side, there is a serious relationship between unbelief, lethargy, indifference towards evangelism. Now, isn't it interesting that when we say we struggle with sharing the gospel, with evangelism, we go on pointing to our lack of knowledge as if we don't have enough? We point to the lack of experience. I haven't done this before. We blame our personality. I'm an introvert person. I have seen a lot of introvert person debating over iPhone, Android, shampoo, Walmart. They know how to do it. They know how to speak. Now, we barely point to our unbelief, lack of faith. We don't do that. We don't want to do that. We don't want to go there. You know why? Why I don't like to share the gospel is because I don't have faith. No, 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 no. That's implied more seriously. We don't want to do that, right? But that's exactly what Paul is saying. I believe, so I speak. So when it comes to the relationship between our faith and evangelism, saving faith produces deep affection. Deep, deep affection for the lost people. Jesus' preference becomes our preference. His desire becomes our desire. His mission becomes our mission. Jesus' lost sheep becomes our sheep. On the other hand, unbelief, lack of faith, disregards all these things. So Paul's logic is very simple. If we believe, we should speak. And even, even an atheist can understand that. Have you heard about Penn Gilead? I think that, that's his last name. Penn Gilead. Gilead has been, he is an American musician, actor, musician, inventor, television personality, author. And his Penn Gilead is best known for his work with his fellow magician, Teller. So Penn, um, has been a spotlight as a passionate advocate for atheism. And he even wrote a book 
New York Times bestseller titled God No. Signs you might already be an atheist and other magical tailors. So a few years ago, a man uh, uh, had participated in one of uh, uh, Payne's acts. And, and came to him, and after one of his magic show, came to share the gospel with him. And the man brought a New Testament and, and gave to him. And everybody was expecting Payne to shame this guy publicly. Instead, he got the New Testament together with the Psalms and, and took it home. And the guy shared a little bit of the gospel. Hey, I, I brought this New Testament to you. I'm not a crazy guy, and I'm, I'm a businessman. I just wanted you to read it and to see the message behind it. Well, a few weeks later, Penn recorded a short video. You can find that on YouTube about this incident. And Penn was saying how much he was moved by this man, uh, this guy, gesture. And he says... He, he was kind and nice, a sane man. He looked me in the eyes and talked to me and gave me this Bible. I've always said, Penn explained, I don't respect people who do not do evangelism. An atheist saying, I do not respect people. I don't respect them at all. If you believe there is a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell and not get eternal life or whatever. And you think it's not really worth telling them this just because it would make you uh, socially awkward. How much do you have to hate somebody to not evangelize him or her? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Penn then offered this example to illustrate his point. If I believe beyond a shadow of doubt that a truck was come at you and you didn't believe it, that a truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point when I would tackle you. And there is more important than whether you believe or not that there is a truck coming. I would tackle you because I believe it. Pen is exactly right. Faith leads to witnessing. As you can see, brothers and sisters, our weakness poses no barrier to the advancement of the gospel since God's power and wisdom can be manifested in the midst of our weakness. In the same way, our suffering cannot prevent the life of Jesus to be conveyed to others since it's grounded and it has its meaning in Christ's resurrection. The problem is what makes us Inadequate is our faith. So may God give us grace and grant us faith to be vassals. Yes, cracked. And through these cracks, you might be able to shine the lights of the gospel to others. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the perfect work Jesus has done for us on our behalf and keep doing through us through the preaching of your word, the sharing of the gospel. Lord, use us. Grant us faith. Help us overcome our weakness, not in our body, but in our faith. Grant us, O oh Lord, obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.